Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Ron DeSantis finally makes his presidential campaign official. The governor's campaign launch on Twitter with Elon Musk has embarrassing technical glitches. And Donald Trump welcomes DeSantis into the race in typical Trump fashion. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Palm Beach Post politics reporter Stephanie Matat. But first... Well, I lost track of how many times DeSantis' campaign launch crashed, so I can't use that as my number today. But I do have a DeSantis number for launch day, and it's 2,600. We'll see if that rings any bells for our listeners. How about you, Antonio? What's your number? You know, John's not here, but if he were, he'd say this is the loneliest number. I'm going with one. Nice. How about you, Stephanie? I'm really close to Antonio. I got the number three. All right. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, DeSantis essentially has been running for president for at least six months now with a shadow campaign that includes a book tour across the country. But he finally made it official Wednesday in a filing with the Federal Election Commission and an announcement on Twitter. DeSantis's decision to announce with Elon Musk during a Twitter Spaces event was unconventional, and it was really criticized even beforehand as kind of like overly online and all these things and um, a lot of chatter about it. But, you know, there were some potential upsides there, tying yourself to a very famous person and, and doing something outside the box. But it really started to seem like a terrible miscalculation after the Twitter Spaces live stream kept crashing. We're going to come back to the governor's embarrassing Twitter launch. But first, Antonio, I just want to get your take on where DeSantis stands as he enters this race. He's really been considered sort of the the next big thing in GOP politics uh, for a while now. There's all this buzz about uh, him running for president, really going back a year or two, back to some of the CPAC straw polls and things like that. But some of that luster has really faded over the last few months. Do you think he has a realistic chance of knocking off Trump? Well, Zach, you know, preseason is over, so we're going to find out, and I think we're going to find out very soon. Look, despite all the setbacks, the betting is he does have a shot, whether he can capitalize on it, whether he can really take on Trump and beat him. That's going to be a very different matter. 
And I think we're going to find that out pretty quickly, um, especially if Mr. Trump changes his mind and shows up for that August uh, debate scheduled for uh, Milwaukee. Look, it, it's not so much about DeSantis. What we've really learned the last six, seven months is, is more about Trump than DeSantis in some ways. You know, the Trump, again, has shown that he is the most tenacious political player that we have ever covered. No one even comes close to him. And that tenacity, that is what draws the MAGA universe to the former president. If you go back to late last fall, after he made his announcement in November, remember there was that dinner with the white supremacist, and then there were all these fumbles, and people were writing off Trump. And you know, five months later, look where he's at. He, he is atop just about every poll, and not just at the top of the poll, by many, many digits. I mean, doubled, you know, 28 points in Florida, and according to the FAU poll, and, and across the country. Now, yeah, we can say it's early. The posers have been suspect. But man, every poll is wrong. I, I don't think so. I, I think we've seen, you know, basically, you know, the former president, despite all these issues, the legal issues and the, you know, the, the two impeachments and acquittals by the Senate and, uh, and the indictment in New York, that he is just this tenacious player. And that's what draws in the entire MAGA crowd to him, somebody who's going to be a fighter, and is going to take on everyone and everything. But look, like I said, it's still very early. And there are a number of legal issues still swirling around Trump, including the documents case from the, the documents received at Mar-a-Lago last August. Then the investigation over the phone call to the Georgia elections officials, you know, when he was challenging the, the 2020 results with, and asking them to find him 11,000 uh, odd votes. And, uh, you know, those now, those cases, whatever happens, they're not going to dissuade the Trump faithful. The Trump faithful will be there for him. But the question is, it's going to again raise the issue, can Trump win a general election? Can he keep, can he bring over independence and some, you know, some Democrats enough to win in these states? And, you know, that's, that's what's been the biggest question about Trump in the last couple of months, even as he has surged in all the Republican primary polls is, okay, but can you win a general election? And that's why Trump can kind of keeps flagging every poll out there that shows him beating uh, Biden, the, the president. And look, the other issue here that we're going to find out pretty soon is just how far to the right does the country really want to go? Or more precisely, just how far to the right do these purple states, the, the Arizonas, the Georgias, the Michigans, the Pennsylvanias, the North Carolinas, and Virginias, how far to the right do they really want to go? You know, we've seen case after case where voters in the public see the GOP as way too extreme on issues like abortion bans and, and taking school books off shelves. And polls show that it's just not, it's not just Trump's support for the violent overthrow of a fair election that gives people heartburn, but also his chaotic style. You know, the refrain used to be that DeSantis was Trump without the baggage. The new refrain may be, look, we want the Trump economy without Trump. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's way too early to count out DeSantis. There's been a lot of speculation that his campaign is sort of over before it even started because of some of these national polls and, and uh, the average uh, of the national polls shows Trump up by 36 percentage points, uh, which seems really daunting if you're DeSantis. I think Trump is polling around 56% uh, of the vote right now, while DeSantis is only at about 20% of the vote, but we don't have national primaries. These primaries are decided 
uh, in the early states, uh, you know, well, they're decided in every state, but the early states really take on outsized importance and, and you really build momentum throughout the primary contest. So if DeSantis can gain some ground and, and get a, a, a toehold in some of these states, he's, he's definitely got a shot. I read something about how Barack Obama, when he challenged Hillary Clinton in 2008 was polling around where DeSantis was at this time. And that, you know, he had just this, Clinton had this massive advantage over uh, over him and, and he just slowly chipped away at it and built support and built momentum. Uh, now, I, I'm not sure that DeSantis uh, has the same political talents as Obama. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether he has the charisma and, and uh, the ability to inspire people. But we'll see and people grow and change on the campaign trail. But you certainly can't count somebody out at this point. And whatever criticisms people might have of DeSantis, it, I think it's fairly recognized that he is just uh, relentless. I mean, he's going to go in there and just work and work and work and try and um, outwork Trump. Uh, there was a quote in Time a Time magazine article about uh, DeSantis that just came out where um, Fiona McFarland, who's actually a state representative, a Republican state lawmaker from uh, the Sarasota area compared DeSantis to the Terminator and just sort of like he's just not going to stop. You know, if you remember the first Terminator movie, it's just like he gets blown up, he gets set on fire, he gets run over by a truck and he just keeps going and going. And I do think that DeSantis does have that quality where he's just tenacious. And so we'll see if that pays off. I think it could make a difference in some of these smaller states if you're really go go in there and put in the work and try and reach out to, uh, you can almost sort of shake hands with every single voter in a state like New Hampshire and maybe to a lesser extent in in Iowa. The challenge is, is that's been tried before. A lot of people have bet their campaigns on, on some of these small states and just tried to uh, campaign in every county in Iowa and things like that. And it's it's really not clear, um, you know, that that strategy is is like, you know, necessarily the winning strategy uh, when it comes to somebody like Trump, who has such um, overwhelming popularity within uh, the Republican Party. But we'll see here. I think it, it, it will be there, there's always ebbs and flows in these uh, political races. And DeSantis is kind of starting at a low point here, but there's certainly room for him to grow. Well, DeSantis didn't kick off his presidential campaign with a big rally in front of an adoring crowd. Instead, he held a live discussion on Twitter with Elon Musk. The governor hoped to make a splash by doing something different and tying himself to one of the most famous people in the world and the second richest, but it ended up being a complete embarrassment because of technical glitches. Stephanie, this was really pretty bad. I mean, it was really quite awkward. I sat through it and it was painful uh, to sit through. It was really like, you know, we, we here at uh, Gannett use Microsoft Teams and we're we're always doing these video calls and, and, and I'm sure most people are used to doing video calls for work or conference calls. And it's really sort of like the worst case scenario for one of those where people's audios, you know, dropping out, video dropping out, and then the whole thing just sort of crashed, except that happened four or five times. Uh, and it was really, uh, it took about 20 minutes for them to straighten it out. And then it like, for me, I just kind of caught like, it just all of a sudden DeSantis cut in and he was it seemed like he was halfway through his speech or some somewhere in, into his speech. And so 
uh, I, I'm not exactly sure when he uh, really started speaking or, or or how that all all played out, but it was it was uh, quite the glitch there and multiple crashes. You know, not the narrative that the governor really wanted to see here. You know, as he starts off his campaign, where you know he's start hoping to to use this to really get on a roll, and instead it, it sort of makes uh, makes him look a little bit fumbling here, and uh, that they don't have uh, control of their rollout. How bad did he miscalculate by putting his presidential launch in Musk's hands? I mean, you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? And that's exactly it. You know, you only have one chance to make a first impression and this glitch was a very 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 difficult one when i was going through the twitter spaces i had a reminder set and i was on it pretty early and within just a few minutes i was listening to this muffling and i started to paint my nails and by the time they got everything up and running my nails were already dry um so so it was it was very interesting hearing all this muffling and you know it was great to have some background noise as i was painting my nails but but listening to all this i was thinking why why am i painting my nails i should be listening to the governor say his a presidential bid that he's been waiting to say and that we've been waiting for him to hear for a long time. You know, this is this has been a very expected announcement and he had one chance to make that impression. And what was interesting as well is that he chose to make this on Twitter spaces and then they talked heavily about Twitter. You know, the the discussion afterward was also very interesting to me because a lot of it was questions relating to how he was making this launch with the company but a lot less on his actual actual presidential bid. You know, he did start off by 30, I believe, around 30 minutes in. I'd say he eventually started off on his own page and started saying, you know, his bid to the United States, all of his campaign issues. But it was kind of a fluster. You know, I don't I don't um, I've been seeing a lot of criticism on Twitter. I've been hearing a lot of things. But really, you know, when I saw it, I thought it was it was a bluster of a lot of information he was really spitting out there and, and it really just felt tense at that point so you know this was a broad space like twitter that was definitely a lot more easily accessible to people it was you know helpful because probably a lot of people have, don't have cable television anymore so yes it was a lot more accessible yes this reaches a different audience and you know we all know the governor in florida very well but a lot of people in other states don't. And this was their first impression. So, you know, it was also a mess because right after uh, former President Donald Trump's campaign immediately put out DeSantis ads, they already had ones prepared before from what we could see, but then immediately put ads, you know, making fun of the situation. And Biden even took his chance to fundraise, you know, saying that this link works on Twitter. So, you know, you're, you, again, you're partnering with the guy who's launching rockets and, you know, he even had this whole Twitter space called preparing for a launch and this launch was unsuccessful and it and it was it was quite glitchy, you know, so it, it was awkward. And because of all that, it might have really, really diminished what could have been a really strong launch a really strong put into a presidential campaign, especially a long awaited announcement. 
Yeah, and it's never good when you are sort of a joke. It really, I mean, that's one of the things that can sort of deflate a candidate extremely quickly as if they are the, the subject. And, and you know, not just the typical, obviously, your critics are going to, you know, make fun of you and try and cut you down and do all this stuff. Um, and that's really easy for a candidate to shrug off and, and for a candidate's supporters to shrug off. But when you have something that's so obviously – embarrassing and and you know why i mean even fox news was calling it a disaster everybody on the conservative media was talking about this disastrous launch so i mean this is one of those things where it's just universally viewed as uh, a, a misstep i mean you can't view it as anything else when your your presidential announcement doesn't get started for 20 to 30 minutes because you have this giant uh, technological problem. Uh, so when you're when you're the butt of jokes like this, that's what people remember. I mean, that that sticks in people's minds and uh, it becomes part of your narrative going forward throughout your entire presidential campaign. And every time you mess up, people are going to be like, oh, look, like, you know, they don't have their act together. And, and as example, number one, by this uh, you know, uh, missed up with their presidential launch. So I think that, that it, you know, obviously it, it is, it wasn't really DeSantis's fault. It was Twitter's fault, but he put himself in that situation and, and it just um, gets uh, stuck on him no matter what. I also think that this sort of undercuts his ability, you know, one of his big selling points is competency, right? He's sort of pitching himself as Trump, but a guy who doesn't have all this drama, who's not shooting himself in the foot, who's very meticulous and well-planned and gets things done. You know, he's 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 out there um, crossing all the T's and dotting the I's, and he can um, transform the government in ways that Trump couldn't because he's more disciplined. And it doesn't look like you're somebody who is more organized and disciplined when the first and biggest uh, moment in your campaign uh, is a flop like this. So I think that that hurts him as well when you're trying to sell yourself as Mr. Competent and you can't get your campaign launch right. Well, of course, the Trump campaign was gleeful about DeSantis's failure to launch. Trump pounced immediately, writing on Truth Social that, quote, the DeSantis Twitter launch is a disaster, exclamation point. Trump also posted a video on social media of a rocket with DeSantis's name on it exploding on the launch pad. That video was pretty widely shared. Antonio, Trump doesn't need a reason to attack DeSantis. He, he likes to rip into him uh, no matter what. But the governor's botched launch, I think, will only sort of embolden him and make him think that DeSantis is is sort of struggling and he needs to go in for the kill. Do you think DeSantis can handle the heat here? Well, you know what? Uh, two things here. First, to answer your question, we're going to, again, we're going to find out, but I think the, the bigger question may be, can DeSantis's big donors handle the heat? Now, we've been hearing for some time that these deep pocket Republicans that have put tens of millions of dollars uh, in the DeSantis's coffers and and then the ones that really have propelled his candidacy as the you know the the next big thing the 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 one the one to get behind uh, that they're starting to get some cold feet. Then there's the Murdoch the Rupert Murdoch media empire. Remember when the New York Post called called the governor the future back in November after his uh, landslide election? Well, since then Fox News settled the defamation lawsuit by a voting machine company for nearly one billion dollars after a ton of embarrassing and damaging emails and texts surfaced in which Fox News personalities, on-air personalities were basically 
trashing one was, you know, Tucker Carlson was tra trashing Trump and others were raising questions about all these uh, false claims of election, uh, you know, rigged elections and so forth that have no basis, no basis to them. And you know, so all these emails and texts came out and ultimately, you know, Fox News had to settle this case and that they look really weaker now than they did. On top of that, uh, Carlson himself was ousted. So there, there went, you know, one of the Fox News' primetime stars out the door and somebody that, you know, conceivably could have touted DeSantis and gotten behind him and really, you know, brought a lot of the, the MAGA crowd with them. Uh, you know, now you have Trump going after Laura Ingram, another Fox News starlet who has been kind of leaning toward DeSantis. So, you know, what happens with conservative media? Do, do they get behind Trump? Do they get cold feet on, on DeSantis, particularly the, the Murdoch empire? We're going to find out. But then you have the rank and file voters, you know, the ones who said they liked DeSantis because he was Trump without the baggage. Yeah, well, you know, they don't seem to have that kind of an appetite for DeSantis that they did back in November. Look, we don't know if DeSantis has the medal to go against Trump, but we also don't know if those who, all of those who were propelling him forward from the big donors to the media networks to a lot of voters do as well. And I think that rocket video reminds me something that that uh, that, that uh, animated meme that Trump posted on Truth Social last night. I think that reminds me of something that Rick Wilson from the Lincoln Project told me uh, a few weeks ago when I interviewed him. And he said, you know, this is the Trump campaign team is top notch and they're on they're on top of the game. This is not a lot of the the problems that Trump has had in the past with, you know, switching campaign chiefs and, and you know, and just a lot of chaotic and tumultuousness behind the scenes of his campaigns. This one seems to be extraordinarily well run. They jump on things very quickly and very effectively. And that that rocket blowing up uh, that meme that that came out so quickly tells you that they're, they're ramped up. They are ready to go. And that's something that I think anybody who's thinking about getting behind DeSantis is going to have to take into account that you're not just going up against the most tenacious political player, like we said, but you're talking about Trump with a campaign staff and machinery behind them that has been in the last five months really impressive. Yeah, Trump has sort of a preternatural ability to exploit his opponent's weaknesses and just find that thing that that really um, kind of undercuts them and just keep chipping away at it. And DeSantis just gave him more material uh, last night there. And I'm sure that Trump is going to run with it and just, you know, continually uh, brand him as uh, a loser or somebody who can't even get his uh, campaign off to a, to a good start. Uh, and this just gives him that that extra material. Not that I, I mentioned he didn't really need it. I mean, he is just uh, tearing into DeSantis. And, and I think that's really the biggest question facing uh, the governor as he kicks off his campaign here is, can he, can he handle it? I mean, nobody has been able to stand up to Trump within the Republican Party yet. Everybody that challenged him in 2016 was defeated and not just defeated, often humiliated, you know, with, with, with humiliating nicknames like low energy Jeb and, um, Little Marco and Lion Ted, and then all the all the Republicans who voted for impeachment were were Trump went after them and and uh, unseated them, especially Liz Cheney, who he just relentlessly attacked and uh, you know went and campaigned against until she was out of Congress. And so, um, 
DeSantis, can he stand up to Trump? Uh, it, that's a huge question. I, I don't think you know there's any historical evidence here that uh, a Republican can can take Trump on uh, and and be able to punch back against him and and respond to his attacks in a way that lands with Republican voters. And it's been tricky for DeSantis before he was a candidate. He seemed to sort of largely ignore Trump or or push back sort of obliquely uh, and not really go at him directly. And that's going to be harder and harder now that he's an actual candidate. Uh, and it, it seems like he's still uh, hesitant. He was asked on Fox News sort of how he'll handle the attacks and the name calling and the nicknames. And uh, he used this sort of stock line that he's used before where he said, you could call me whatever you want, just call me a winner, you know, basically saying that, uh, you know, I dominated my reelection win here in Florida and and uh, look at what Trump has done uh, over the last uh, few cycles where he lost the presidency. And I don't know, maybe that, maybe that works uh, with Republican voters. Uh, he also kind of sort of said, uh, it, this is a line he's used before where, well, so many other people have sacrificed more than me, you know, people who are, who have uh, gone to war and things like that. And uh, I, I can certainly handle this sacrifice. I don't know that, that portraying himself as sort of this sympathetic figure who is bearing the burden of these attacks to serve his country is um, it, it plays. <laughs> we'll see. But he's also kind of uh, trying to play that angle. So um, but I, I, I think that he's going to get in some of these scraps with Trump, especially when he gets on the debate stage. I mean, that's going to be really interesting if he gets on a debate stage with Trump. Can he go toe to toe with him? You know, he, he had some fumbles in his debate against Charlie Crist, uh, the Democrat who opposed him for governor. And so taking on Trump uh, is, is uh, you know, 10 times uh, more difficult than that. So, um, you know, th I think that question of how DeSantis responds to Trump's attacks is is one that's really lingering. And, and, and can he respond in a way that doesn't anger uh, Trump's voters? Um, I, I'm not sure there is a good way. Well, we'll move on to our numbers here. Uh, Stephanie, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, so I chose the number three. Um, one very important reason could be that we have a three-day weekend. I'm very excited for that one. But the other reason is more related to DeSantis. Um, that, you know, just last week, we DeSantis told donors and supporters on the call that there were only three cre credible candidates in this race, Biden, Trump, and him. And then he said only two have the chance to get elected, Biden and him. You know, I, we, we've seen throughout this whole presidential 2024 process that DeSantis has really kept a low profile when it comes to any attacks on Trump. Um, and even last night, you know, we when we listened to his presidential launch, he really, really made made it clear that he wasn't going to say say anything, you know, and we've seen different stories as well saying that you know, Trump, that DeSantis will only respond when it comes to policy. Last night, DeSantis really only put most of his jabs toward Biden. And, you know, Biden has occasionally as well made made these targets towards DeSantis and whenever he's come down to visit Florida. Um, but now now we really kind of see we're at this point where there's going to be that two man race and that's going to be going against Biden. And, you know, I think that that 
what seeing that from last week that those three candidates who are going to be in that race is going to be very critical to look at for 2024. And it's going to be very interesting to watch how all of this unfolds, um, especially how DeSantis' team and, you know, their communications is going to be toward Trump. You know, Trump consistently puts out campaign ads and statements and emails all the time, regularly on DeSantis. Um, and we see Trump speeches, you know, they go on DeSantis, they talk about Biden, but really, really f- focusing on DeSantis. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I, th- I think DeSantis really wants to make this race about him and Biden and campaign against Biden. We saw that in his uh, announcement speech or what we heard of his announcement speech last night. But uh, he he listed all these Biden policies that he wants to reverse and 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 really focused on um, attacking Biden didn't mention Trump uh, you know in in his mind uh, he's running against Biden but Trump is not going to allow that Trump is going to inject himself Trump is going to be knocking him off message left and right here and uh, is not going to allow him to position himself as uh, this this guy who's the best one to take on Biden. So whatever DeSantis wants to do, whatever he's uh, trying to do, I think he's going to have to to continually deal with Trump knocking him off message. Antonio, uh, how about you? What's your number? Well, I had one, and that's for the one parent who complained, and now a book by Poet Amanda Gorman, who was featured, you may recall, at uh, President Joe Biden's inauguration, her published work of poetry has been removed by a school, this time in Miami Lakes. Look, it seems there's a new book controversy in Florida every week. Uh, We've seen books pulled or reviewed or scrutinized books about baseball legends, Jackie Robinson, one of the great baseball players and also who broke the the, uh, color line in, in professional sports. And Roberto Clemente, another great baseball legend, those books uh, came under scrutiny and, and some were removed. And then you know, tennis great Billie Jean King and, and even a version of the diary of Anne Frank. Now, a common denominator in all of these book controversies is that it's just a few parents, sometimes not even a handful of, of parents who are the ones bringing forth the controversy and bringing forth the complaint. And in this case, the one involving uh, poet Amanda Gorman's book, it was just one parent, one mom in Miami-Dade County who claimed that she had, who had an objection about Gorman's book. And one of her objections was this line. And I'll read it to you. This line, this is her objection. The line reads, somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. That's the line that this mm. one mom Daily Salinas found objectionable and actually says it fits a criteria of, of hate speech. Now, the Daily Beast and the other news outlets have now reported that this mom, Daily Salinas, is linked to the Monster Liberty Group that you have written a lot about, Zach, and also the Proud Boys that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Uh, she's also reportedly a DeSantis backer, and, and actually one of the video reports suggested that she at one point had recommended a children's book about the governor for Florida schools, uh, all of which these media outlets suggest it raises questions about her motives and, and why she's bringing forth this complaint. And, you know, look, we, we haven't confirmed that, so I'll let it go at that. But I, I, I think in this case, I think the larger question for each one of us in Florida is, is this. 
is this really the way we want to conduct education policy? Zach, you have kids in the school system. I raised two kids through the Florida public school system. You know, most reasonable parents, yeah, want to know what their kids are reading in schools and, and want to have a process where if, if there's an objection or they have a concern about a book where it can be heard and it can be dealt with in some sort of, of an educational forum, you know, the, 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 the conversation that makes things better, that, that we all come to some understanding, at least a way to say, listen, I have, a, I have an issue with this book. And, you know, and, and to be able to determine what your kid reads or not. But the question is, you know, should we allow one parent to determine what all of other, everybody else's kids reads? And I think that's where you're going to have a lot of people say, hold up, that, that's going too far. Because, the, the, you know, to have one or two or three parents decide what the entire Florida school system, you know, allows children to read in schools. I, I think this is going to be problematic. And this is a key question and one that I'm willing to bet that Governor Ron DeSantis will have to answer more than once now that he's a candidate on the campaign trail. I'm glad he brought this up, Antonio, because it's a question that came up last night, actually, in the Q&A section of uh, DeSantis's Twitter announcement. Uh, I don't remember exactly the details of it, but I think Musk or somebody else was asking DeSantis about this. Um, and uh, it, it, he, DeSantis, again, uh, said that it's a hoax, that you know the, this book ban stuff in Florida is a hoax. And, and again, I don't remember all the details, but it, he's basically pushing back against the idea that there's all these book bans. Um, and his campaign and his supporters have provided differing sort of uh, excuses for this. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll say that, you know, this narrative is is just uh, exaggerated. You know, sometimes they'll say that, no, they're only removing, quote, porn from schools. Uh, you know, there's 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 different arguments they've put forward. But, uh, you know, DeSantis basically just said that the whole narrative of book banning in Florida is a hoax. And, and it does seem like there are books. Uh, you know, the, the problem is, is that these decisions are being made by individual school districts. And so it's hard to compile all of this information together and see what is being banned. And, you know, it's not necessarily the state doing it, but it's the, the school districts are responding to state policies, state guidelines, just the chilling effect that some of the discussions uh, at the state level have had um, when, when they're talking about critical race theory or or gender issues and things like that. The school districts have absorbed that and started looking at their books. And there's been actual uh, laws passed that have um, prompted some of this stuff. So it, it is being prompted at the state level to a large degree, and the school districts are running with it. Um, and, and there are books that it seems have, have been flagged or, or, or pulled from uh, individual schools or from entire school districts. And so for the governor to call it all a hoax, um, you know, it, it seems like the, 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 there are plenty of examples of this throughout Florida, um, but it's hard to get your arms around because, you know, they're all sort of individual cases here. But And I do agree this is going to continue to be an issue um, throughout this, this campaign. It was fascinating, too, the way that Elon Musk responded. He was kind of like, oh, well, I, I was under the impression that some books had been banned. I'm glad that you told me that they haven't. You know, he didn't push back against the governor uh, at all on this. But it, it, it's certainly the case that a lot of books have been flagged throughout the Florida school system. Well, my, uh, my, 
it, and the yeah. government, the governor may be right, and this is really complicated and everything. But you know what? That's a lot of explaining. And you know what we say on this podcast: if you're explaining, you ain't winning. Yeah, and, and and the reality is is that there are books that are being flagged and 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 removed from some schools, and so to say that it's all just a hoax, uh, it, it seems like that that, that um, you know that, that that goes against some of the evidence that, that's out there. Well, my number is twenty six hundred. That's how many field workers never back down the federal pack supporting DeSantis plans to have on the ground in the early voting states by Labor Day. That detail was in a New York Times story that published this week, uh, looking at Never Back Down's plans in the early states. It's notable because if DeSantis has a chance against Trump, it rests on winning some of these early caucus and primary contests and building up some momentum that can keep, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, slingshotting DeSantis through the primary process to do that. DeSantis is going really all in on Iowa in particular, but also investing in, in uh, heavily in some states like New Hampshire and Nevada that also vote early. His uh, actual campaign kickoff rally uh, is expected to actually be in Iowa next week. There was some reporting that he might have a kickoff rally in Dunedin, which is where he grew up in the Tampa Bay area. But instead, it sounds like he's going to be doing an event in Iowa, not Florida, which sort of tells you something about um, how important Iowa and these early states are to his strategy. You know, DeSantis may be down in the polls and he might not be the most charismatic candidate. But one thing he has is a heck of a lot of money. You know, he hit, never back down currently has around $40 million, but it's expected to get a big infusion of cash from DeSantis's state political committee, um, which has over $80 million. Um, and all told, uh, never back down expects to spend around 200 million uh, in early state organizing. And they're claiming that they're gonna knock on the door of every possible DeSantis donor at least four times. The ground game may be DeSantis's uh, secret weapon or not so secret weapon. It was detailed in this uh, article, but it only works if his supporters are, are selling a product that people want to buy. And there's been a lot of question about that is how strong is DeSantis uh, as a candidate? But there are some signs that primary voters, at least in Iowa, are interested in DeSantis. He's actually doing better in the polls there uh, than nationally. And if he can really close the gap in a state like Iowa to within a few percentage points of Trump, it's, it's game on. And his ground game could really make the difference. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Chandler Hopeful. And thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.